When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What's up, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Straight Up Sabres, presented by the Hockey Podcast Network and the Charging Buffalo, brought to you by Thin Man Brewery. As always, I'm Brendan. And I'm Taylor. And Taylor, it's nice to be doing a pod with you face-to-face here instead of our usual virtual setup. But folks, we have a lot to talk about today, starting off with Zemgis Gergensen's coming back for one more year. One year, $2.5 million deal to return to the Sabres for the 2023-2024 season. Gergensen's being the longest-tenured Sabre has obviously been here throughout this entire playoff drought and now we'll get a crack at being a part of the team that seemingly has the highest chance of breaking this drought since it started. Taylor, we've been talking a lot about Gergensen's and what his potential standing on this team could be next year, whether he's going to be here at all. A few months ago, the initial conversation was, well, it feels like it's going to be one of either Opozo or Gergensen's, then Opozo signs, then it really started to trend towards, ah, it doesn't feel like they're going to really bring this guy back. You have a lot of, a bit of a logjam in your bottom six right now. You have some guys in Rochester who can maybe move up. And overall, it just felt like maybe that Opozo was brought back really was kind of the writing on the wall that Gergensen's was not going to return this upcoming season. Of course, Gergensen's is a, a very, very solid five-on-five defensive player. He brings a lot of traits to this forward group that not many, if at all, any other guys have among the forward group right now. So I don't think that by any means this is a, you know, the sky is falling type of thing. This is a guy that's going to get pretty limited minutes. It's a, it's somebody who he has a very specific skill set and is going to be used for that and that alone and not relied upon for a whole lot else. On the ice, I should say. Obviously, he wore a letter last year and is well-regarded in the room. But a bit of an interesting situation and a bit of an interesting decision bringing Gergensen's back here. So, Taylor, what are your thoughts on the Sabres retaining Zemgis Gergensen's and bringing him back for this one-year $2.5 million deal? So I like it. And I know a lot of people don't, and a lot of people see it as, like, why do you want this guy around? Uh, Why do they want to keep bringing back the same roster? I think with last year, at the very least, you could look at it and say the forward group was not a problem. They scored, I believe they were fourth or fifth in the NHL in goals. So, like, they can score. It's not like they need more scoring punch in the bottom six even. I know the the thought out there is that, well, they don't need anything in the bottom six. They have a bottom six. They have all these guys, and they also have these prospects you want to bring up. Like Brandon mentioned there, Lucas Rusek is another guy. Uh, Cooley people want up, and Savoy people want in the NHL. They don't want him to play another season in juniors like he has to if he doesn't play in the NHL. He can't play in the AHL. But I think when you're talking about next season, it's really a playoffs or bust season. They really do need to make the playoffs. Uh, and to do that, I think it's hard to walk into a season and being like, yep, we're guaranteeing these two spots to teenagers. Even if they're very talented teenagers like Savoy and Kulik. Kulik is just going to turn 19 when the season starts, or roughly. He'll be 19 for the entire season. And Savoy, is he played, what, one AHL game, two in the playoffs? He's mostly played in the WHL. It's tough to make that transition and be a 100% NHL guy right away, even if we know you're going to be an NHL guy eventually. 
Uh, and then, you know, it's also worth thinking about it this way. What problems did the Sabres have in their forward group last year? It wasn't scoring. It wasn't scoring depth. The real problem they had, above anything else, is their forwards are not good at defense. That was a real weakness of the group. Their defense wasn't all that great at defense. Uh, their goaltending wasn't good at stopping pucks. Their penalty kill wasn't good. Just in general, stopping the puck from going in the net was a problem. And yeah, maybe your forward group isn't the most important part of that, but it is one part of it, of stopping pucks from going in the net. And they just have a problem where they have a lot of very good, talented players in the offensive end who aren't as good in their own zone. Uh, Tage is an obvious example, and so is Jeff Skinner. But, you know, results-wise, uh, Dylan Cousins hasn't been all that great at uh, so far in his career at being at playing in his own zone. And then you just have a lot of young guys in general that you want to play, like Krabs and Quinn and Paterka, and then hopefully Cooley next season too. Uh, it's, it's hard to... Uh, it, or sorry, not hard. It's easy to see why their forwards haven't been all that great in their own zone because there aren't a lot of them that are good at it. They don't have the skill set. That's not the way they play. So I think it's hard this offseason uh, for me to envision what a lot of people wanted to do, which was to let Oposo and Gergensons go and bring in other guys. I don't think you could have reasonably done that for the money, or easily. You couldn't have easily done that for the money. And with Oposo, there's an obviously important leadership aspects with him being the captain. You could say the same to a lesser extent about Gergensen's. But it's also, it's it's just, it's worth noting that that matters. And I think that's the big thing people miss with Gergensen's. He's great in his own zone. It's an easy thing to overlook. There's no stat. There's no, at the end of the year, it's not like, oh, how many passes did he break up? How many battles did he win in the corner? Like, you have to look, you have to really look at, like, more advanced stats, which are a little bit, you know more superfluous or watch the game like he's things don't happen on the ice when he's on the ice and that includes um in the offensive zone for the sabers that's why he's a bottom six guy but it's worth noting he has 32 goals in the last three seasons and that included having two years ago 10 and 56 games and before that 12 and 69 games he's not a playmaker at all but he gergensen's with his defensive skill set with how he scores at least a little bit of even strength in limited minutes and how he can play on the penalty kill, he's the kind of guy you want on a contender in the bottom six. You don't think of him that way. A lot of people don't think of him that way because he's been in the bottom six for teams that have sucked most of his career. Not his fault. He got drafted to a bad team. They stayed bad in the rebuild. They stayed bad through a reboot. They had to do another rebuild. He's still here. He's almost 30 years old. He's played almost 700 NHL games. Uh, But what I'm really getting at there is that teams like Colorado and Vegas... He could have just slid in there the last two years. He easily could have been on those. Tampa is another good example. He could have been on those fourth lines. He is a good fourth liner. He's a fourth liner that could be on a contender. And another way I would look at this is last two years we've had former Sabres win the cup in the bottom six. So that's Comfer two years ago and Carrier this year. Well, if those guys had just been here the whole time instead of Gergensen's, it could have just been role reversal. Us going, Will Carrier, oh my God, he's been here forever. Yeah. He's, been, he's played so many games, why do we set, resign him? But you know he's goddamn good because he plays for Vegas. You will know Gergensen's is good when the Sabres are good, but you should know now that he's he's good and it's a good signing. That's very fair. And I think one thing that's important to point out with this conversation too, and specifically with regard to the younger guys, is that a lot of people have been like, well, what? Savoy or Kulik, you're going to put them in Jurgensen's role? That doesn't make any sense. And no, that's not what it is. It's looking at a guy like Greenway, who now, with Jurgensen's coming back, is seemingly 
going to be positioned to be playing on the third line, potentially. And we'll see. That may not be the case. But really now it's a matter of where is he going to fit? We've been talking about it the past few weeks. We're going to keep talking about it, too. It is a legitimate question of where he fits on this roster because of the fact that you do have Yuri Kulik and Isaac Rosan. Rose- Lance was calling him Rosan. I-, I thought it was Rosine, but then previously it was Rosen. Who the hell knows? Anyways, back to the point. At Rosie. Hand. Rosie. Rosie boy. Uh, back to the point at hand, though. Those guys are not the ones who would be playing in Gergensen's role there. You would ideally have Greenway playing on that fourth line and in that spot now. Tying in with that, a lot of people thought, well, if Gergensen's is back, then Tyson Jost is probably out the door. And that is also not the case, folks. As it was reported today that Kevin Adams has expressed interest in bringing back Tyson Jost and that the Sabres would like to have him back next year. Jost at Locker Room Cleanout Day had made it very clear that he wanted to come back. He wanted to continue to be a part of this group. So there's even a chance that there are no changes to the forward group aside from moving Victor Olofsson. Victor Olofsson may be the only difference in this forward group next year and again that begs the question of what is that bottom six going to look like because you're seemingly going to have a fourth line of Gergensen's and Opozo with Jost in the middle your third line you're going to be looking at is probably middle set on your left wing Krebs in the middle and then you have that right wing spot open is that going to be Greenway is that going to be Kulik are they going to are they going to go out and even try and get an external addition like I think Lance was the one who brought it up. It's been brought up a few times, but like, I would love if they went out and got Ross Colton from Tampa, for example, potentially. Yeah. I think that, but again, or do you want to go even a little bit bigger I, I, and get somebody with more of a scoring punch? I think one of the things that is, oh my God, Ziggy has joined the pod right now, folks. He has missed Taylor very much and is sprawling out on him. <laughs> but so you have Greenway in the equation, you have Jost in the equation, and again, what is that last right wing spot going to look like there? Is it going to be Greenway? Is it going to be Kulik? Is it going to be Rosen? Uh, Rosine? Who is eventually going to end up taking that spot? You know, we don't think that they're going to give up on Greenway quite yet. What I will say, though, is if you are going to run back the same forward group, even though they did produce results last year, and you would think that this upcoming season will be a continuation of it, it makes it all the more important that Kevin Adams hits a full-on home run with this top four defensive addition, as well as bringing in a proper 1A to play with Levi next year. Would you agree? Absolutely, yeah. That's that's the big upgrades I'm looking for. I think with what we were talking about with team defense, the, the, the goal scoring I'm not worried about, even if they're not top five again next year, they'll be able to score. With team defense on the forward side, they brought back their three best Defenders, I guess you would say. Oposo, Gergensons, and Jost, or are in the process of bringing back Jost. Seemingly. Uh, while at the same time, they just really have to hope for improvement in the other areas. Well, first of all, maybe a f- super full season from Tuck, that's great. And then also Cousins. Yep. And Krebs. Yep. Paterka and Quinn all getting better in that regard and being more mature players just because they, they'll have more games under their belt. Uh, the team gave up a lot of rushes against last year. And that was, I think, one of the big problems. Once they were structured, it wasn't that bad. Uh, and it'd be even better with a really good, reliable guy to play with power. Mm-hmm. And again, power getting better at the same time, too. And then, yeah, a real goalie. <laughs> Get a real yeah, goalie to nice. play with. Like, Levi needs someone that's, you know, we've said it a million times. Not UPL or Comrie or Anderson. Absolutely. Craig Anderson. Freddie Anderson, if you're listening right now, come to Buffalo. Yeah. But... Yeah, no, I definitely 
feel that. I just, again, we've known, whether they were going to bring back Gergensons or not, we knew it was the case that they were going to have to hit it out of the park with this, uh, with, with whatever their decision was at goal and who they were going to bring into the mix here. But again, I think if it just, the point remains that if you're bringing back the entire forward group, keeping it pretty much the exact same, maybe with the exception of one internal addition, it, you got to swing for the fences with this this defenseman that you're going to be bringing in and obviously in goal too. Like you have to do whatever it takes to get your guy here. You cannot run into a situation, like you said, where you're bringing it back with UPL or Comrie to go along with Levi. There's just, there's too much data and history to support the argument against doing that, that it, it would just be irresponsible if they were to do that. I agree. Uh, do we want to hear a word from our sponsors and I'd then love to. potentially get into some other stuff? Because I think we have uh, we have some time to talk about this. It's There's going to be a lot of movement in the next uh, 10 days or so with the draft and free agency coming up. So first sponsor, folks, is DraftKings. New customers, download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code THPN. Bet just $5 to score $150 in bonus bets instantly. That's code THPN. Only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Massachusetts, call 800-327-5050. Or visit gamblinghelpmma.org. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY. Or text HOPE-NY at 467-369. In Kansas, call 1-800-522-4700. On behalf of Boot Hill, Casort, and Casino. In West Virginia, gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit www.1800gambler.net. All games regulated by the West Virginia Lottery. Please play responsibly. In partnership with Hollywood Casino at Charlestown Races. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. 21 and over in most eligible states, but age will vary by jurisdiction. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for details and state-specific responsible gambling resources. Bonus bets expire seven days after issuance. One boost eligible per game. Opt-in required. Max bet $50. 10 plus leg requirement for 100% boost. Eligibility wagering and deposit restrictions apply. Terms at sportsbook.com, sportsbook.draftkings.com slash baseball terms. So our second sponsor is, of course, Thin Man Brewery. We talked about it a lot in the summer solstice event last Saturday. It was a huge success. I, I believe we mentioned that on Monday's pod. Uh, as we're speaking right now, Go Skate Day is going on. Thin Man Chandler, so hopefully that's going well. Uh, so then it's just it's time to look forward now into the summer because it's officially summer today, as we're recording this and as you're listening to this, obviously. And uh, the next thing we have coming up for Thin Man is the weirdly wonderful beer fest, uh, and that is Saturday, July twenty second, twenty twenty three. This is a huge event for Thin Man. We're just about a month away from it. And it's going to be at Front Park, and there's going to be an incredible lineup of breweries. There's going to be awesome local food vendors, music, and more. There's so many things that I can't mention them all. They've had to unveil the vendors, like, ten at a time, and there's so many. The most recent one they did on Tuesday, they unveiled, among other ones, 42 New North Community Beer Works, Blackbird Cider, Industrial Arts, New York Beer Project, Wayland Brewing, Ellicottville Brewing, Pearl Street, all these ones you know, including other ones. Uh, there as well there's going to be so many local breweries there's going to be you know great food great drinks and you can get the tickets at weirdlywonderful.com uh, and again that this is going to be huge like i love the summer solstice event that was a great time but this is going to be significantly bigger than that it's going to be insane so 
it's it's one of the biggest beer festivals that Western New York's ever seen, and it's going to be the best according to uh, my sources. Some of which you can probably guess who they are. Um, but yeah, Thin Man Brewery. Uh, Brendan, did you want to add anything about Thin Man? Uh, it's going to be the, actually the biggest beer festival that's ever existed in the history of the world. Well, wow, bigger than Beer Fest. That is what Yvonne, our source, said. Yes. Sorry, wow. I just revealed our source. But Yvonne said, and I quote, it's bigger than anything you've ever seen before. And if anybody tells you anything different, they're wrong. Which Crazy. I feel like is his take on like sports stuff a lot of times, too. Yeah. Crazy. Crazy. Uh, yeah, and that one, it's a different deal than Solstice, but if you go uh, and you use our secret passcode, Straight Up Sabres, uh, Yvonne will do a very funny impression for you that he did all day Saturday. So check it out, folks. That's at thinmanbrewery.com. You can find the link, and then also it's at weirdlywonderfulbeer.com uh, to get the tickets. But yeah, more information available there if you're looking for it. And like again, I said, it's going to be awesome. Uh, so moving on today, uh, Wednesday, that is the hall of fame committee, the hockey hall of fame committee announced their class of 2023 and folks, eh. <laughs> they still suck. Yeah. It's weird. Uh, so would you say up front in case you hadn't heard, uh, the honorees, uh, there are, I believe seven of them, uh, the builders, Bob himself, yep. no, uh, Pierre Lacroix, the former, GM of the Colorado Avalanche from their 90s and early 2000s success. Uh, he's no longer with us. He died of COVID a couple years ago. Uh, and then the other builders, Ken Hitchcock, uh, coached many teams and won a lot of games. So I don't really have anything to say about either of those. They seem deserving enough, I guess. So good for them. There is one, only one women's player, even though they have two slots and they kind of have a backlog. They put in Caroline, Carol, yes, Caroline Ulet, I believe is how you pronounce mm-hmm. it. Uh, weird to me that they do this thing every year where they're like, there's two slots, but only one. And the, they leave out one person who people think is going to get in. And then that person gets in the next year and they just follow that process. Can't say I understand it. Hockey hall of fame. Uh, strange. And then the NHL players, I gotta say it's one of the weirdest selections I've ever seen. It's first time nominee Henrik Lundqvist. Fair. Long time. Uh, eligible Pierre Turgeon even longer eligible Mike Vernon mm-hmm. and about that same time Tom Barrasso yep so that very interesting all around there uh I don't know where to start but I think I'll start here we said the two builders are fine Carolyn Ulett also good very good getting in uh probably should have been another woman but you know that I don't know why they do this the hockey hall of fame is weird it's different than every other sport it's very secretive they meet one day a year, basically, and there's 18 members, and 14 of them have to agree to get uh, someone elected. And there's it's kind of a weird process, but it goes really quick compared to like the NFL and everyone else. Like, and it's probably the least transparent. You don't they don't answer questions about it, and it comes up with weird results all the time. A lot of people complain about baseball, and I've had my qualms with baseball's Hall of Fame too, but. Way more transparent and, frankly, a better success rate than whatever is going on here. Uh, so let's get into this. Uh, I brought some stats with me. I'm ready for Who you. Who do you want to complain about first? I mean, it's got to be Mo Gilney. We, yeah. We've done this the Should last we say that- two years on the pod we have done yeah. this and have had this exact episode where we get frustrated about the fact that they aren't inducting him. And I got to tell you, I saw the, the report today that had said that 
they didn't want to bring in or elect any Russian players due to the political like situation right now. Which, folks, yeah. let me tell you, Rob Rossi, the Athletics, that is just so stupid. Yeah, I'm sorry, but it's like explicitly not McGillney's Alexander fault. Mogilny, too, no less. Like in his story, yeah. you're gonna really sit there and uh, he was the first player to defect, and then he comes over and was absolutely worthy of a Hall of Fame career. Like we talked about this last year, and I'm sure you'll go into this too more so, but like. He not only has the playing, like the career resume to be worthy of being in the Hockey Hall of Fame, like whether you want to go for his career stats, whether you want to go like at his peak, what he was, however you want to look at it, he absolutely is deserving in that respect. But to not even take into consideration his story and him ushering in an entire generation of players being able to play in the NHL. The, the the magnitude of that yeah that that just totally gets glossed over it is mind-boggling and it is so stupid and it's just like i feel like every time we get frustrated about the nhl we say this we're like oh this is so indicative of all of the problems with the nhl but like it's the truth like this yeah. is absolutely brutal that again we are doing this with him it, it sucks it and sucks. I say that as two Sabres made it this year. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. That's our headline. McGillney didn't make it even when two Sabres did. But honestly, McGillney, the thing that kills me is like, okay, like just looking at his career and taking everything else out of it. Well, if Paul Korea is a Hall of Famer, why isn't he? Both are deserving. Yeah, they both are. I agree. But like, I'm looking at what Pierre Turgeon, like, I will get into him more later. But why? Like, we talk about guys who compile stats and don't win any awards or whatever. McGillney won a cup, which is a thing that they do care about, whether that's fair or not. Uh, they do take that into consideration. And he won a Rocket Richard. He didn't win a Rocket Richard because it didn't exist. But he did the thing that the people that won the Rocket Richard did. He led the league in goal. He tied for the league lead in goals. But still, he would have shared the Rocket Richard had it existed with Timo Slotty. And shit, Rocket... Uh, he, Richard had been retired for like 20-something years at that point. Mm-hmm. How do they not invite that award yet? Come on, guys. Get it together. Either way, uh, McGillney was great. He's He scored more than 400 goals. He played right through the dead puck era. He, over a point a game, he obviously started in a better scoring era, but that evaporated quickly. And in general, uh, he put up the type of numbers uh, that get you in the Hall of Fame, generally, except for the fact that he didn't just stick around for a couple years at the end to compile, unlike some people who got in this year. Um, so it's, it's just bizarre to me. And then with the story is crazy, but I'm always reminded it took until like 2020 or 2019 for Willie O'Ree to get in the hall of fame as a builder, the first black player. So I just, again, maybe they're come on. Like, do you want him to wait till he's like 90? So I've, all the excuses I've heard of McGillney don't make sense. Uh, he's a, he's a great player at his peak. He was like the most dangerous scorer in the league. He has over a thousand points in a bad era, even not playing that many games. His story is incredible. Uh, and the shit that I've heard, like the excuses, like, oh, he might not come over. Who gives a shit? Have someone give a speech on his behalf. Have him send a video. Who, who cares about the induction ceremony? These induction ceremonies have been happening my whole life and long beyond that. I can't tell you one goddamn thing that's happened to any of them. I could tell you about Michael Jordan's and the Basketball Hall of Fame. Still not many other ones there. I could tell you about football ones. I see them every year pretty much. I don't know anything that's ever happened at any of these ceremonies. I don't remember at all. It's crazy. It's weird. It's like these. It's like it doesn't happen, basically. So who cares if he goes or not? And then the Russian thing. I mean, that's just ridiculous. What are you gonna not elect Ovechkin? That's if, what I was about. Was my next war. point was Malkin not gonna get in? Yeah. Like, if, come on. What if Russia's in another war in eight years? Like, is it is it their fault? Like, 
McGillney, I mean, he fled he fled the country. Granted, it's not the exact same country as it was then, but like insane to me. Let's even put it to a more a more moderate or a more uh, one that'll be coming up. Is Pavel Datsuk not going to get in? That's a good that's a good example. The other yeah. guy who didn't play that many games at the NHL level, you know, but is undoubtedly is, deserving. 100%. I mean, he's no to me. He's a no brand. He's a first ballot. Like he should be, but but. he's eligible next year for the first time, right? Is it that? Is he? Yeah, I believe so. Yeah. (laughs) Or wait, go ahead. I'm gonna look this up. Hold on. I could be mistaken on that because he may already be in. He's not in yet. He's not in. Okay, so he should be in soon. They have weird rules too, because like how they treat retirements. Because like Chris Pronger was a Hall of Famer while he was technically quote unquote a member of the Arizona Coyotes. You're so, right. He is Taylor. Datsuk's in. No, he is. Uh, he's eligible, eligible next, next year. year. So let's see who else we got. This is a horrible. Okay, Miku Koivu, Yarmolson, Patrick Marlowe. Patrick Marlowe is he really already? What it's he a three-year waiting period. Oh so yeah. So then. Oh, you know what? It's pro hockey. You have to keep. So it's three years after you quit pro hockey. Datsuk kept playing pro hockey. Yeah. That's right. That's why Yager's not eligible for three more yep. years because he played a game this year. Pekarine. Yeah. Ryan Miller. Yeah, so let me get into that, because that actually is a wow. good transition. Goalies. A couple years ago on the pod, we did our Hall of Fame thing, the famous Rupins episode, some people call it. Ryan Miller <laughs> came up and Brendan put him as a surefire Hall of Famer, and I kind of balked at that, not because I don't think it's true, but basically because the Hall has been so weird with goalies. So Sean McIndoe, we both like, down goes Brown on Twitter, he has pointed out that if you're 50 years old, before today, you had seen five goalies five Hall of Fame goalies begin their career. And before Luongo was four, so mm-hmm. Luongo just made it a couple years ago. So before a couple years ago, you had seen four. That's doubled to eight because they elected three today. I just wanted to put out how crazy that is. The Hall of Fame has been so stingy with goalies. Like, they elected Rogi Vachon, right? But Rogi Vachon's career started in the mid-60s. Didn't get elected until, like, 2017. Uh, then, you know, there's, mm-hmm. they've been good with the guys that should get in. Hashik, Brodeur, Wild, Belfour are in. But they've had some interesting, you know, questions. So Lundqvist was the guy I think pretty much everyone thought was going to get in right away. Uh, and then, you know, wow, three goalies got in, Brendan. I haven't looked. So one of them must be Curtis Joseph, right? Nope. Oh, wow, that's interesting. No Cujo. Let's get into this. I, I got some stats here because I think this is super interesting. And it really lays out to me that these three goalies are a surefire Hall of Famer, no question about it. A guy that's fine to elect, but uh, you shouldn't elect him over McGillney. And then the guy, it's like, kind of like, come on, guys, what are you doing? So let's let's start with yeah. that. Mike Vernon uh, started his career in 1986, basically. So he he started in the earlier in the 80s, but he started playing full seasons basically as a starting goalie in 1986. So I looked at this today: his save percentage versus the league average each year. And I think that's interesting because I don't know if you know this, Brendan. Patrick Waugh, 19 year career was never below the league average. Wow. Goalie is notoriously streaky. He started as a teenager, played into his late 30s. Mm-hmm. Didn't matter. Even when he was old, he was young, he was always above the league average. Kind of an incredible stat. Hashik was usually like 50 points above the league average. <laughs> Not quite. But That's what happens when you're the best goalie of all time. Oh, yeah. And just looking at stats, too, between guys who played in the 80s, 90s, we lived through the 2000s and 2010s, now it's goalie stats are kind of down again. It's hard to just look at save percentage and be like, that's good or that's bad. Yeah. Because uh, it changed. It, the little league... Average save percentage has uh, range from the early 80s till now is like 36 insane. points. Like it's, it's, it's crazy. It's gone up and down and it's down again, like I said. But the highest was 915 and the lowest was in the 870s. The average. Both of those seem ridiculous right now. 
So let's get to Mike Vernon. Looking at his his years as a starter, starting in 1986-87, he was three points above the league average save percentage, three below, 18 above, I'll come back to that, 11 below, five below, two above, three below, eight below, five above in mostly a backup role, six below, 10 below, three above, 13 above, and 20 below. So why is he Hall of Famer? Because I'm just I just laid that out. He was a below average in save percentage in most of these years, and we don't really have better goalie stats from the 80s and 90s, at least that are widespread. The third year I mentioned there is a full-time starter, 18 points above the league average save percentage. That's incredible. Mm-hmm. Second in Vesna voting, also was great in the playoffs that year, and the Flames won the Cup. Okay. So that's a year. Now he was 11 points below the next year, like I mm. said. Years later, he's on Detroit. Uh, he actually was splitting time. Throughout those two Stanley Cups, or so the second Stanley Cup season, he wasn't there. But he was splitting time with the early Detroit, early Detroit teams, including the team that won the Cup. He won the Conn Smythe. Uh, in looking at it now, so he had a nine oh five in the nineteen eighty nine playoffs. That was great for the yeah, Eagles. Yeah, nine twenty seven in nineteen ninety seven, won the Conn Smythe, and he was second in Vezina voting the one year I mentioned. In the other years, he was fourth, eighth, tenth, and eleventh. So taken as a whole, he's in the Hall of Fame because of those two playoff runs. Yeah. Because he is, I don't know who to compare him to without those playoff runs, but man, he was below average a lot of years. Look at all those years I mentioned there. That mm-hmm. was more than half of them. So let's get to the next guy, right? Barrasso, starting in 83-84, and I, it's, we're obligated to say this contractually. He was 18, he was drafted out of high school, became a starter yeah. right away. And won the Vesna's rookie year, he was 20 points above the league average as an 18-year-old. Insane. Crazy. Then, starting the next year, 12 then five, and then seven below it. Wow. And that's around when he gets traded. Uh, no, sorry, 16 above it the next year, and he's uh, a Vesna second place, I believe. The next year he's traded. In the midst of the year, he's one point above. First full year in Pittsburgh, 16 points below. Actively terrible. Then 10 points above, three points below, 16 points above, two points below, eight points below, four points above, hurt for a whole season, 16 points above, and then he was a backup from there on out. Uh, his is interesting, though. That's kind of all over the place, but a lot of elite years. So he won the Vesna, like I said, the first year. Finished second three times. Finished third once. Finished seventh three times. And finished ninth. He also finished sixth, eighth, ninth, and 18th in Hart Trophy voting in different seasons. And when they won the Cup in 91, he didn't win the Conn Smythe because Mario Mew was on his team. But he had a 919 save percentage in the playoffs. Wild. So that kind of seems like it's fine that he's in the Hall of Fame. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. All right, this is let me let me read you an actual Hall of Famer here. Okay, someone who really no doubt deserves it. Henrik Lundqvist, starting directly after the full season lockout in 05. rookie year, twenty one points above the league average save percentage. Then twelve, then three, then eight, then ten, then ten, then sixteen, then fourteen, then six, then seven, then five. That's the first eleven years of his career, not including the playoffs. He's three below, three above, and then his last two seasons, three below, five below. And then he has heart condition and had to stop. Playoffs for him. Hank, he also won a Vesna six times in the top five and then was third six times. So let me uh, count that up real quick. That's, sorry, six, he was six three times, I should have said. So 10 times in the top six for Vesna. Good. Heart finalist in 2012, he finished third. Mm-hmm. 921 in 130 playoff games. And then his save percentage wow. from the. From 2012 to 2015 in the playoffs, they made it to the conference final three of those four years and made one cup. 
His save percentages were 931, 934, 927, 928, and he was the best-looking man in hockey. I think that last stat is maybe the one that jumps out the most to me because he's got the numbers and everything, but the hair, the suits, (laughs) those beautiful eyes of his, I mean... He's the best-looking athlete in team sports that I remember in my life, I would say. I think that's very fair. That's very fair. No, that is crazy, though, the point you're making, and thank you for doing the the work on grabbing all those numbers because it's definitely fair, and like you said before, it feels like it's this... I don't even know if you even want to say it's like a year-to-year thing with how they handle goalies because, by and large, they really are wildly inconsistent about it. And, again, you're going to elect three this year when, I, I don't know. Are you Again, you perfectly laid it out. And the question that remains is, is Mike Vernon really that much more deserving of being in the Hall of Fame than Alexander Mogilny? No. Absolutely not. Yeah, it doesn't make sense because Vernon's whole argument is the two cups. Well, McGillney won a cup too. Mm-hmm. That seems to be a big thing for them. It's it's bizarre to me, especially with the other guy that got in. We could get to him in a second. But I just want to say about Lundqvist too is he just, what really hurt his reputation, not that his reputation was bad, what didn't help his reputation was that people thought that the Rangers were a good defensive team. Yeah. And they actually were pretty bad. So, yeah, so that's... Lundqvist is incredible. He's better than Martin Brodeur, yep. uh, and he's one of the top five to seven goalies of all time. Boom. Uh, and then the last guy we'll just mention is Turgeon. Uh, classic compiler. No idea why I took so like why they just waited this long and then inducted him. Weird. But he has thirteen hundred twenty-seven points. He was the highest point guy uh, to not be in before. Now it's Jeremy Roenick at just mm-hmm. over twelve hundred. But he played half his games before the dead puck era, and it's just weird to me. If he had just retired, if you look at his hockey reference, he retired four years earlier. He's these four years that no one remembers in Dallas and Colorado. Uh, he would have had about 1,150 career points, fewer than 500 goals. Would he have made the Hall of Fame? No. So why you make it? Why, why do these couple years where he has 40-something points get him in the Hall of Fame? I think it's, it's, it's very difficult for a guy with 1,300 points to not be in the Hall of Fame. Like, I'm not saying whether that's right or wrong, but... It's the Andrew Chuck Cicerella thing. It's, it is. It's, it's, yeah. You hit 500 home runs in baseball while not being on steroids. And If like, scoring didn't drop in, like it did in the 90s, Turgeon wouldn't have a chance in hell. And I agree. Frankly, I agree. Neither would Cicerella or Andrew Chuck. No, I, I, I agree. I agree. But I, I just... 1,300 points is... It's a lot of points. It's a lot of points. 1,294 games, though. And he played more than 600 games before... It's, the real drop off. I know, in the 90s. but I, I mean, still, I, I'm not disagreeing with you. I'm just saying it's a lot yeah. of points. If he was like, like you said, like a thousand, just over a thousand, between a thousand and eleven hundred, and he wasn't above a point per game. Yeah, that I think it's a no brainer. But like, I don't know. I yeah. mean, I, f- I feel you. So the last thing I'll just say about him is he did have a kind of an elite year in ninety two, ninety three, fifty eight goals, hundred thirty two points. He was fifth in hard voting that year. Uh, he was still only sixth in postseason all-star voting. So he never was a postseason all-star. Uh, that was his only hard votes he ever got. He got a ton of Lady Bing votes. He got exactly one selfie vote one time and never made the cup. Wow. So that's that just, at the end of the day, I look at that and I just say, that's never a guy that would have made the Hall of Fame. If you just, don't look at 1,300 points. Just look at where he ranked in his era. Mm-hmm. You know, especially points per game. It just, it's crazy to me. It, it's just, I... I'm glad a Sabre got in, and uh, yeah, it's just weird. Two guys the Sabres traded got in. Yeah. One guy they traded didn't get in, but those other two trades, I mean, they're fine trades. Brasso got them Bodger, and they didn't need Brasso anyway, because right. they had Hasha coming, and 
you know, the Tershon trade got them on Fontaine. So right. how mad could they be? Right. So yeah, that's basically it. This is a really weak class. It's Lundquist. Barrasso is a big drop from there. Uh, Turgeon is another serious drop from there. And then Mike Vernon is right around where Turgeon is. And the other three, congratulations. So are we going to like storm the NHL headquarters or the Hockey Hall of Fame next year if they don't let Mo Gilney in? You know what? Maybe. Maybe. You know a couple guys, right, who know about that kind of stuff? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I'll I'll talk to my guy in Vegas. (laughs) So... uh, (laughs) Well, with the curly hair, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, nice, yeah. We'll talk about it offline. Wasn't he missing a couple ribs? He was, yeah, uh, yeah. He had a whole funny idea. <laughs> so, folks, that's it. I uh, <laughs> Seems like a good place to end the episode. Yeah. The Hall of Fame, uh, it stinks, but maybe it'll stink less next year. There you we'll go. See. Well said. All right, everybody, thanks so much for tuning in to this episode of Straight Up Sabres, presented by the Hockey Podcast Network and the Charging Buffalo. Make sure you're checking out both presenters of this podcast on their respective websites. Whatever streaming platform you're currently using to listen to this episode, make sure you're checking out all of our fellow shows and leaving us a subscribe or a follow before you leave the app. Also, leave us a nice little rating or review. We'd very, very much appreciate it. And you can find us on social media, Straight Up Sabres on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Last but not least, we love our sponsors, folks, don't we? We have DraftKings. Use that promo code THPN at checkout to take advantage of great deals. And Thin Man Brewery. Check them out online. Stop in there for a drink after work. Go to dinner there with the family. Whatever you're feeling, Thin Man is the place to be. We'll be back with a brand new episode on Monday. Have a great rest of your week and a great weekend. This has been Straight Up Sabres.